to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey, everybody. What is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcome you on board to the show this week. It's earlier in the week, I know, but boy, I got a crazy, crazy week coming up. Time is tight, and I got an hour or two to squeeze the show in. And unfortunately, I got to do it without uh, my friend and co-host, Kevin Laramie. And well, I'm going to try and, and do my very best on my own here. But fortunately, we have a, a very eventful weekend to talk about and wrap up. What with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix having been run on Sunday... And again, we see another Mercedes 1-2, but before we get into that and talk about the race and all the news that's going around in Formula 1, I just want to give a couple of shout-outs here. First of all, I just want to say uh, hello to Mark Correa, who uh, left a very nice message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash scuderiaf1pod. And uh, apart from the very nice uh, recommendation he gave us, uh, Mark also said, uh, I used to listen on your to your podcast on my Alexa all the time, now I can't find you. Thought you might want to know. And yes, we have had some issues. Uh, we did switch hosting providers about two and a half months ago. As far as I knew, the uh, the, the migration did go okay. I know we had some issues with the, with the folks that are listening on Spotify. I have reached out uh, to the support people just to check into that. So... Um, I don't know what to say other than that because uh, the, the numbers seem to be pretty stable and uh, pretty much uh, where they were before the migration. So hopefully, Mark, uh, you've been able to sort that out. And then also I had a very nice uh, email exchange with uh, Nathaniel M. Eubanks, who is in Evanston, Wyoming in the USA. And then um, Nathaniel had some uh, very nice things to say and some very constructive uh, criticism, which uh, I'm always pleased to hear. It's always uh, nice to know what everybody's uh, thinking about and uh, always uh, like to get to uh, some pointers or some uh, thoughts and feedback on what we can do to do to improve the show. And uh, we, we did have a little bit of back and forth and um, Nathaniel did uh, write back and I wanted to share this because he's got a lot going on in the second half of this uh, email and it basically is a show outline in his, in its own right. So uh, Nathaniel, I hope you don't mind me sharing this with the, with the audience, but I'm just going to read here and uh, he goes on to say, I personally really enjoyed Baku this year, even though it was far are more predictable after qualifying at least than last year. I wish they would have only used local yellow for Gasly's stranded car. I think the virtual safety car robbed us of an exciting race. I don't think anyone was able to reactivate their tires too much cool down. The cooling track temperatures seem to be providing some interesting dynamics, not a bad thing. I know Merck's dominance isn't great for this uh, for the sport, but I can respect their form. I'm glad Bottas is able to give Lewis Hamilton a run for his money. It'll really be interesting to see if Ferrari can catch up, if Vettel and the Ferrari team in general can prevent the mistakes that killed them last year, and maybe most importantly to watch Leclerc hone his racecraft under the scrutiny that is the red team, and may Red Bull rise to challenge, or sorry, and may Red Bull rise to top uh, challenge both. Well, there's a lot going on there, and we're going to touch on all of these uh, items and more over the the next little while. And uh, again, Nathaniel, thank you very much uh, for for the email. And he makes a number of great points in there. And and number one, <laughs> I want to get to this right off of the bat because it, it blends in very nice with a, an article that was uh, out on the BBC today, uh, written by uh, Andrew Benson, and uh, just uh, talking about uh, Sebastian Vettel saying how Mercedes winning all the time is boring for F1, but. You know, Nathaniel makes a great point. As much as I hate to see Mercedes winning all the time, you can't help but respect what these guys are are doing because it doesn't matter to seem how many times they win, how many races they're winning, championships, the whole thing. They genuinely seem to be enjoying themselves. Excuse me. And then on the flip side, when things go wrong, they, they really seem to be upset and down on themselves. And I mean, I know they have a very, very big budget, but to do what they've done and be basically flawless over the past several years, because it didn't really go easy for them when they came back into Formula One, there was, they, they grew into it. But in this turbo hybrid era of, uh, of Formula One that started way back in 2014, they have been 
the gold standard. I mean, they have set the bar so incredibly high that 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 nobody else is even coming close to matching what they what what they've done and what they're doing. I know that Ferrari have been able to challenge them, and of course, I'm sure they're still probably lamenting the the things that happened last year because they should have really won that uh, championship, in my opinion. Anyways, that being said, over the course of an entire season, Mercedes was the better team. They had the a driver and Lewis Hamilton that was better over the course of the 21 races that we had last year, or was it 20? I can't remember. Anyways. Over the course of the entire season, that that is the point I'm getting to, is that where Ferrari and and Vettel struggled, Lewis was was uh, more consistent. He scored points when he needed to, and then of course in the latter half of the season, that's when he really came into his own light, and especially after the summer break, is when he really stepped it up uh, to another level and captured another world championship for himself, which was his fifth, another constructors championship for the team, and it looks at this point in time after only four races and of course we still have 17 races to go this year and anything can happen and and hopefully it will but it's really hard to bet against them right now but there is a bit more to that story but first of all uh let's just go down the uh the, the classification for the race on sunday the the podium was uh Valtteri Bottas followed by Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel uh which was uh basically a repeat from the uh well how the race started uh Max Verstappen Charles Leclerc in uh, fourth and fifth rounding out the top 10 Sergio Perez Carlos Sainz Lando Norris Lance Stroll and Kimi Raikkonen and uh, I want to give some thoughts on all these guys at uh, at some point um places 11th through the rest is uh was alexander alban in the uh, scuderia toro rosso uh antonio giovanazzi 12th in the second alfa romeo k mag in the Haas, nico hulkenberg in the Renault, george russell and robert kubica uh, rounding out the uh, last two cars still running at the end of the race, albeit two laps beha- behind. And there were a number of cars that uh, didn't make it to the end, uh, one being uh, Pierre Gasly and uh, one of the, well, obviously the uh, other Red Bull that wasn't Max Verstappen, Roman Grosjean in the other Haas, and then Davni Kvyat and Danny Ricardo, who, um, well, <laughs> the incident that took both of those guys out of the race was uh, bizarre to say the least. And uh, what we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. But again, going back to the email from uh, Nathaniel, uh, it was eventful, but it wasn't. Certainly, I think just uh, in the context of a normal Grand Prix, there was uh, its fair amount of action, not just uh, overtaking and uh, the, the usual clashes here and there. But for what we've seen at Baku over the past uh, several years, it was fairly tame. I mean, over the past um, three previous runnings, I believe we've had a safety car in each and every race, about one, and it has been action-packed to say the least. And so the one thing that that it has sort of lived up to, uh, to uh, expectations is that as in the previous three races, we've had a completely different uh, race winner. So going back to 2016, when the, the, the race was first run, and I know it's kind of gone through a couple of different names, I think back in 2016, it was then known as the European Grand Prix, uh, was run won then by Nico Rosberg, in which was his uh, championship winning year. Sebastian Vettel and Sergio Perez uh, rounding out the, the podium. 2017 was Danny Ricardo, Valtteri Bottas, and Lance Stroll in the Williams, and that was probably the last time that they had a really solid result. If, uh, if you think about it. And then last year we saw Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen and Sergio Perez. So Perez obviously uh, two podiums in, in four years, very, very solid, especially uh, last year, excuse me, uh, when um, Racing Point Force India, uh, or the other way around, I guess it was uh, a <laughs> Force India racing point. I can't remember. They've gone through the name change, of course. But anyways, he was on the podium. And then again, uh, for racing point this uh, this year, again, a top 10 finish. And uh, in P5, uh, a very, very, sorry, P6, a very, very solid uh, showing for him. And Lance Stroll, who didn't make it out of uh, Q3, I believe it was his seventh race in a row uh, in, in Baku this weekend. But again, making it into the top 10 uh, with a P5 
and uh, I get to give uh, kudos to Lance. It was a little bit uh, hard on him in the brief wrap-up I did after qualifying, and uh, he's uh, certainly run uh, well around the circuit over the past couple of year- years, obviously getting uh, a podium the first time he raced there for, for Williams a couple of years ago. And, well, I guess it's no real surprise that uh, that some of the Mercedes-powered cars, well, obviously not the Williams, are, are fairly strong and have a lot of uh, speed around there, and certainly those uh, very long straight sections that the track offers are very much uh, to, to their benefit. Uh, and Perez, he, he had a very solid opening to the race, but uh, was uh, quickly go- gobbled up by some of the, uh, the, 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 the faster cars. But certainly uh, being behind um, cars that are either Ferraris or Red Bulls or Mercedes in front of them is a very good achievement uh, for Perez in Racing Point. And I think that uh, they should be uh, very proud of that. Uh, that's, a, that's a great result uh, for them. And uh, they did say that they were going to bring a whole bunch of updates uh, to Azerbaijan for the Grand Prix to uh, to update the car and certainly it looks like it uh, paid off and then in there as well in the top 10 we have uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris in 7th and 8th for, for McLaren and again, uh, I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing for McLaren. Still, obviously, they are a very long way away from challenging for podiums and obviously for, for race wins. But uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they, they were nowhere even close to being <laughs> up there. So I think that the signs that McLaren is slowly getting this thing turned around are, are really starting to, to, to manifest themselves. And uh, I think this is a very positive uh, development for them. And they should uh, be, be quite pleased with that. I know that... Uh, uh, previously in China wasn't a wasn't a great weekend for them, but certainly through the four first four races of uh, 2019, uh, McLaren have uh, have quite a lot to, to be very positive about. And then Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo, I know he had a wing problem that uh, that came to uh, came to the surface in China a couple of weeks ago. They weren't able to to manufacture a new uh, wing, but still P10 is a, is is a. I think an admirable result uh, for him in uh, Giovinazzi and P12. Sure, he didn't score a point. Uh, Raikkonen getting last points and offer on the on the weekend, but uh, Giovinazzi not too far uh, behind his uh, his teammate. Uh, so I think that's a, a pretty good showing from from him. Who knows if he'll be able to catch up uh, to Kimi? Probably not, but you never know. Uh, decent uh, in anyways. And then uh, Alexander Albon just outside of the, uh, the 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 points in the in the Toro Rosso. So some interesting names in there. But uh, let's talk now a little little bit more what I was talking about a couple of uh, minutes ago and that was uh, the chief writer for uh, BBC Formula One and that's Andrew Benson and uh, he was talking about uh, Sebastian Vettel who says Ferrari or sorry <laughs> Ferrari's winning is not getting boring but the Mercedes success is uh, is getting boring and it it certainly is but you can tell that I think that there there is a bit of a frustration because I think that Sebastian's body language and just his demeanor in the in the interviews uh, so far this year and especially after Baku, I think is very telling to to me. He seems uh, quite, um, I think, resigned to the fact that that it, that the Ferrari just isn't working for them at the moment. Seems to be the the, the best way that I, I think I can put it. He seems sort of. I, I think restrained maybe in in criticism. I think he's obviously holding back. I, I think that. Uh, Obviously, he knows that the car is disappointing after being so good in the winter testing that it really hasn't uh, panned out. But there are a lot of different things uh, going on, and certainly what happened to Bahrain a couple of weeks ago when uh, Ferrari really kind of shot themselves in the foot. Uh, Charles Leclerc had the problem that really hampered him from from winning that race, and, and Vettel had the moment when he was uh, battling with Lewis Hamilton, and then, uh, of course, he had his uh, front wing come off, damaged uh, his tires and all that, so that, that was... Uh, an opportunity missed for them because even Total Wolf team principal at uh, at Mercedes was saying that um, that that these results are flattering for them and they they were saying that they really felt that they, that they were lucky that that Ferrari had the better car in in, in Baku and certainly it was very very uh, interesting to watch and see how it all really went uh, went out or really unfolded, I should say, especially during qualifying, because Charles, he did talk about it uh, afterwards, after he uh, he crashed in Q2 and said he thought that the, that the pole position was there. I mean, certainly he had a really, really fast car, but choosing to start the race on the medium tires uh, that, uh, that he did, I think it was the choice to make. Obviously, starting in P8, uh, I think it was after everything had all been sorted out with the penalties and uh, all the different things going on, it... Uh, 
it was going to have to be a long first stint uh, for Charles Leclerc and the soft tires that everybody had started on higher up in the racing order, they really didn't uh, work out uh, very well. I mean, some guys were coming in, I, I believe, just after a dozen laps or so. And uh, and Charles work, uh, running on those medium tires was very, very impressive. I mean, they were the tires to, to, do, to go on at the time because he was really carving through the through the pack like a butter, sorry, like a knife uh, through, through butter. And uh, he was doing very, very well. I mean, he really climbed his way up to the top. And then it, it was pretty uh, apparent, though, that after he actually assumed the lead of the race after everybody else in front of him had, had pitted, that he was still um, faster than the rest. But you could tell after a while that his tires were starting to go off. And when he did eventually pit, I thought it was quite a shame that when he went onto the soft tires, that it just didn't work out for him. And he just, like he said himself, that that second stint wasn't really indicative of uh, of their true pace because those those soft tires just did not work well for him. And uh, he was really just disappointing after the, uh, the, the the pit stop. But even Sebastian Vettel uh, had mentioned it after the race. I'm going to talk about that uh, in a moment after we take this uh, short break for a message from our sponsors here on the Overtime Media Network. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. And as I was talking about before the break, Sebastian Vettel was talking about the problems he was also having with the soft tires on his Ferrari. And he said he wasn't really able to generate enough heat into them. And then he ruined the tires. And then by the time he was able to get some heat into them, it was too bad. It was too late. And the tires were shot and there was nothing really he could use uh, or he could do with them. But he was surprised with the pace that he had once he switched to the mediums. And I think that is another instance where Charles is probably kicking himself. The first time when he had the mechanical issue in, in Bahrain that robbed him of the uh, of his first uh, victory in Formula One. And of course, he was lucky to stay on the podium with a, a very timely safety car uh, incident at the end there after the two uh, Renault simultaneously imploded <laughs> or lost power virtually at the, at the same moment. I mean, he was, he was lucky that it ended the way that he did because, I mean, he was so slow there uh, that he was able to just to hang on by the skin of his teeth. But this uh, situation that he had in Baku was a little bit more self-inflicted. I mean, he basically said he outbraked himself, figured he'd be able to to break deeper than he uh, he could on the medium tires than he could with the soft tires. And of course, uh, he really paid for it because he, he locked up going into that very tight and twisty section just around the back of the circuit when they go up that little tight uh, little sequence of corners behind the castle and uh, plowed into the barrier. And he he was quite honest about it. I mean, he called himself stupid. I thought he was a little bit hard on himself. I mean, it, it was a driver's error. And uh, I, I, he was very apologetic about it. And I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, he's still getting used to, for, to driving for Ferrari. And I mean, the talent is obviously there. And that unfortunately was one of those moments. But you can understand his frustration and his disappointment in himself because he had an excellent car. I mean, not only to take the pole, but also in, in the race. And I can't help but wonder, as I'm sure that uh, Charles is thinking the same thing, is if he was able to claim that pole like he thinks he was able to do, if he was out front, would he have been able to really challenge uh, the, the two Mercs up front? And I think that really dovetails nicely with uh, some of the comments that uh, Total Wolf was making that saying that, sure, okay, we've set a record with uh, with four one-two finishes in a row, but it really um, flatters or, uh, flatters them. And you can see that point too. And I was saying the, uh, the uh, last episode that, that uh, <laughs> I can't exactly 
exactly remember how I put it, but uh, something to the effect of that, that they're, every time they're saying, okay, well, you know, um, they, that their car isn't as good or they, you know, they're watching Ferrari, but I think that's the way that he framed it and see what we saw from Charles in little pieces, you, you can understand that point of view that Toto's trying to make because they certainly got lucky in, in Bahrain because the Ferraris were very, very strong. And it, it was just an unfortunate series of event, uh, events that really uh, prevented uh, Charles Leclerc and, and Sebastian Vettel taking a one-two. And, and Mercedes, they were very lucky to win that race and, and very lucky to get a one-two there. But that's one of those things that's where sometimes you just get lucky and that that's all it was they they benefited from the, the the mishap that ferrari had on the track in front of them with uh, with both cars or uh, after um, sebastian vettel had been uh, passed by lewis, lewis hamilton but they they were just fortunate that day and that that was certainly one of those situations sometimes you know you don't have to be good you just have to be lucky and and you're going to take that of course you're going to do but again, they uh, they did benefit uh, from the obviously Charles Leclerc's uh, accident during uh, qualifying because uh, you know putting him as far back as he did, starting in P eight, meant that he had a long way to come. And what with no uh, safety cars that like we've seen most years in Baku, that really kind of. Uh, well, it really didn't set the, the the race on its head, but it certainly provided a bit of a different dynamic because we, we've seen a fair amount of carnage and cars hitting the walls and cars taking each other out that it, it's really been exciting at some times. And I was thinking to myself afterwards or even during the race, gosh, well, this is kind of boring, but maybe in the context of some of the races that we've seen in Baku over the previous three years, but there was still plenty going on. And I thought that uh, Charles Leclerc certainly added a a very interesting um, and and a very good um, portion to that race. It was just too bad, like I say, that he wasn't able to uh, keep it up and maintain it and then, uh, and really challenge uh, higher up. But still, I mean, finishing where he did in P5, maybe a little bit uh, disappointing, but uh, again, I think that, uh, um, he he should be very pleased with the with, with his results, and it's going to happen for him sooner or later. I mean, he is just uh, you know far too good, and I think that uh, he is really had a bit of some unfortunate uh, circumstances uh, to you know <laughs> to, to to put it uh, quite lightly uh, that, that have really presented to him with uh, or hindered him, I should say. And I think certainly that once I think he gets that first win in Formula One, once he kind of puts the pieces of this puzzle together, I think that he's really never going. I don't think he's going to look back. Let's put it that way. I think that uh, once the wins start uh, coming, that uh, that that Charles Leclerc is just going to um, really blossom before our eyes. I mean, he he certainly is a very very wonderful talent and uh, he is in a very very good uh, a very very good car. And that that was sort of leads into uh, another comment that I saw and uh, people were discussing about it and said are, are Ferrari making Mercedes look better than they are? And I think certainly they are to some extent. And I think that's why it is very very crucial that uh, that that Ferrari are able to put this uh, together uh very very quickly because it's it's going to become it's going to become difficult obviously to catch uh, mercedes if it keeps going on the way that, uh, that that it is because right now like i say we're only four races into the season there are many many more miles many many more races uh, to go but if they're not able to reverse some of these results and and start gaining some uh, positive ground on Ferrari, that gap's going to become a little bit uh, big before you know it. I mean, if you look at the top of the driver's standings uh, at the moment in the driver's championship, you have uh, Valtteri Bottas on top uh, with 87 points, that uh, point that he got in Australia for the fastest lap, uh, really uh, helping out to to be beneficial at the moment. He's got 87 points, which is uh, one ahead of his uh, teammate, Lewis Hamilton. Sebastian Vettel, third in the world championship uh, at the moment with 52 that's not really all that bad i mean he's at 25 points behind valtteri bottas not the end of the world i mean bottas say for some reason does not uh, score any points in a race vettel wins one hey you know it, it could happen in spain in a couple of weeks and that uh, that, that gap closes uh, pretty quickly but we've seen big gaps uh, close over the years and we've seen uh, it become uh, quite uh, exciting i mean if you go back to 2016 when uh, when nico rosberg won his world championship he really got off to a flying start when lewis hamilton struggled a little bit that year and i believe at one point uh, several races into the 
season. I think the gap was something about 43 points. And Lewis was able to claw back, uh, especially later in the year. And uh, it, it was really over by uh, Malaysia at that point. But at that, that point in the season, uh, uh, Rosberg had built up enough points. He was really kind of managing it, not really pushing his car or pushing himself more than he really needed to, and just scoring the points that he needed to get to his world championship. But Sebastian Vettel, um, who, again, I mean, he's only a point again ahead of Max Verstappen with uh, with uh, 51, and Charles Leclerc in, in fifth place in the world championship. Those, uh, those third three positions, three through five, are very, very tight because uh, Charles is sitting on 47 points. So it is really, really tight in there at, at the moment. And anything uh, could happen, but uh, it's going to be, I think, crucial. And uh, Sebastian Vettel's even saying uh, the same thing, that they have to turn things around against Mercedes when they get to Spain in a couple of uh, weeks, or that uh, that that uh, gap is just going to become too, too big. And, um, well... At this point, it's it's getting to that discussion. It's just unless something really happens to uh, really uh, prove otherwise, are you really going to bet against uh, uh, Mercedes? So that's why I believe that uh, Sebastian Vettel is making a, a very, very good uh, point that they need to turn it around quickly because it's going to get very dif- difficult uh, for them. But again, they can do a lot more to help themselves. And that has been the real thing is that... They looked so good in the first half of 2018, right up until that summer break. And I know that uh, there was a lot of turmoil within the team uh, with the passing of Sergio Marchionne and then the the struggles that they were having on and off the track in Formula One. And it it has stabilized a a little bit. They've got the ship righted. They've got the the new team principal and Mattia Bonato, obviously a very uh, smart guy who's been working a little bit behind the scenes over the past couple of years and is to be credited uh, with uh, quite a lot of the success that the team has been having, especially in the resurgence that they've had over the past couple of years. But as well as they've done to kind of uh, stabilize things, it it still looks a little bit shaky. And I think that anybody that follows uh, Formula One as close as that uh, all of us are doing has noticed that. And they they, they really need to to, to focus and really find a way to extract the potential out of the car that uh, that they supposedly had during um, uh, winter testing. And uh, I think that's what I was talking about uh, in the last, uh, um, the last episode that uh, about Total Wolf just being very, respectful about the, the the opponent and how they really do have uh, Ferrari kind of one eye on them. And perhaps it's a little bit of uh, being a good sport. Perhaps it's a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe not coming out uh, as too boastful. Maybe there, there, there's some of that, but certainly uh, maybe uh, I think to, as much as it is anything of that, I think there's a uh, you know truth in what uh, what Toto is saying that uh, I, I think that his concern is legit because if Ferrari can get it to sort it out, and as Vettel is saying it, that uh, that some of the problems that they're having is really just generated enough heat into the tires to get the grip. I mean, the, the engine certainly seems to have a lot of power. They seem to be reliable. I mean, uh, apart from Charles Leclerc's uh, incident uh, at Bahrain, so if they're able to put some of these uh, pieces back in the proper place they really might be able to to be a force to to be reckoned with and it certainly would make for a much more interesting uh, season but having said that I, i'm quite impressed what i've seen from from valtteri bodas because uh, 2018 certainly was a very frustrating year for the guy i, I thought that the russian grand prix at sochi uh, later in the year really kind of summed it up for, for for valtteri because he looked odds on to win in in baku last year and he ran over that piece of debris which uh, which gave him a Puncture ruined his chance to win that race. Uh, I mean, that's just somehow uh, that uh, the Formula One is cruel that way. And then he's also all gone very, very good in Russia over the past several years since they've had the race there. It's just one of those tracks where where Valtteri Bottas is uh, is very good around uh, the, the streets of Sochi, and he really looked like he was going to win that race, or he should have had a legit shot to until he was uh, you know given the team order to move out of the way for for Lewis Hamilton. So it didn't actually have a very good season compared to his first year for Mercedes. And it was kind of, I did feel for the guy because I thought he deserved more out of 2018, but sometimes it just doesn't fall for you. You know, it just sometimes things don't go your uh, your way, but I, I'm very impressed in the way that uh, the Valtteri Bottas uh, went away from, from what was obviously a disappointing 2018 and has come back and been very, very focused because uh, there was one interview that uh, Total Wolf gave over the winter 
And uh, we've referred to it on the podcast several times. And that was just uh, Total Wolf talking about, well, if Valtteri Bottas wants to stay with uh, Mercedes for 2020 and beyond, because I believe he is in an option year at the moment, that he's going to have to uh, perform on a level as good as or better than Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, if you're racing, or sorry, you're in the same team racing against a, a, five-time, a five-time world champion like Lewis Hamilton, that bar is being set extremely high. But having said that, I think that uh, the, the the first several years, or sorry, the first several races of the year, I think Valtteri Bottas has looked uh, very, very good. I mean, he looked uh, to me pretty much uh, flawless around uh, Baku over the first, uh, the well, the, the, that entire weekend. In Australia, he was very good. Okay, sure, he was a uh, second fiddle to, to Lewis Hamilton for there a little bit as well. But sometimes that's uh, the, the way how it goes. But uh, certainly a, a very interesting uh, comment from, from Lewis saying that he was too nice, uh, or words to that effect uh, to to Valtteri going into the uh, the, the first corner at uh, at, at Baku and uh, <laughs> well I know that the Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton era of the Mercedes um, in, in the first couple of years of the the turbo hybrid era especially when it was obviously when it came down to a race it was basically going to be Rosberg or, or Hamilton that were going to win that that race. I mean, they were just that far ahead of everybody else. But that relationship was just very toxic. And <clears throat> it was interesting after Rosberg had uh, retired and uh, Bottas was uh, named as his uh, replacement. I mean, Lewis was very complimentary about him and uh, very pleased and said all the right things uh, publicly that, that he's the ideal teammate. It's very easy to get along with, very easy to work with. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, saying all the right things and and uh, Bottas, I mean, he's done what's been asked of him and perhaps maybe a little bit too much at times has he been a, a bit of a team player because we all remember what happened at the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, last year where Lewis uh, got ahead and was just uh, miles ahead of everyone else and uh, and Bottas not quite as quick, really doing a good job to hold up the Ferraris of uh, Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Sebastian Vettel, actually the other way around, Vettel and uh, Kimi Raikkonen anyways after the match, maybe perhaps a bit of a Freudian slip by Total Wolf, who had said something to the effect of the Valtteri Bottas being the perfect uh, wingman, but he's uh, really, I think, uh, this year, uh, so far in 2018, showing a different Valtteri Bottas, one that's um, uh, one to be reckoned with. And I'm just kind of wondering, as uh, time goes on, if uh, if Lewis is going to be quite so um, generous to, to to Valtteri. I don't don't expect it could go to the same level of uh, toxicity that uh, that it was between Hamilton. And Nico Rosberg, but certainly I think that uh, Hamilton is, uh, he, I, th- I think the gauntlet has been uh, thrown down, maybe not in an overt kind of way by by Bottas, but we all know what Lewis is like. He doesn't like to lose. He doesn't like uh, being second best. And if uh, there, there's a situation where he feels like he's being pushed and he gets focused, then you got to watch out. I mean, uh, Lewis, obviously one of the best drivers of all time. Obviously, he's uh, the, the the very best driver that we've seen in Formula One over the past several years, over the past decade. I think uh, there, there's uh, a very, very good ar- argument, a uh, very good case to be made for that. And he's quick. There is nobody quicker around uh, a single lap than Lewis Hamilton. And if uh, there's anything that he needs to get motivated, maybe it was a situation uh, like that. Anyways, time for another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Uh, we'll be back here on the Scuderia F1 pod in just a very quick moment. Don't go away. We will be right back. All right, welcome back to the podcast and uh, some more news coming out uh, from Baku. And Lewis Hamilton says he wants a dashboard change after a virtual safety car time loss. And of course, the uh, only safety car we saw of any uh, shape or form during the race on Sunday was the virtual safety car that was deployed for a very brief amount of time after uh, Pierre Gasly retired from the race. And uh, Lewis says he wants to make some steering wheel display changes to prevent... uh, a repeat of the time loss that he suffered under the virtual safety car at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And he wasn't the only guy that, uh, that was cl- complaining about the, uh, the virtual safety car. And uh, in the, the case of Max Verstappen, the, uh, the retirement of his teammate that brought it out in the first place, he thinks that uh, it could have uh, actually cost him uh, a shot at the podium. And, uh, and Max, uh, he was really setting uh, fastest laps uh, quite regularly throughout the middle part uh, of the race. Eventually it was a uh, Charles 
Charles Leclerc, who went in for a, a, a very late uh, pit stop for some fresh rubber, ended up uh, setting the fastest time of the day. Uh, but uh, Max uh, feeling that uh, that he left points out there on the track, and and Vettel obviously he just did not have an answer for the uh, for the two Mercs. Uh, he was close, but they were obviously able to keep him at uh, arm's length. And I think by the time it was all said and done, I think there was something about uh, in the order of a 10 or 11 second uh, gap uh, between himself and Lewis Hamilton. But uh, again, he was ahead of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Verstappen, but it does come out that uh, the, he was slowed down, Verstappen that is. Uh, there were fears that uh, maybe that he was going to have a drive shaft uh, failure uh, that was uh, similar to uh, what uh, Pierre Gasly uh, had uh, that uh, that uh, ruined his uh, his day. So uh, again, I think that the, the, the Red Bulls are very, looking very strong. Um, I think they're... I think they're a little bit ahead of where I expected them to be. Uh, now that they've got the Honda engines, uh, they, they did set that benchmark uh, last year, or Honda, uh, that is, that uh, they wanted to at least uh, deliver similar performance and uh, help uh, Red Bull achieve similar results that they, they'd been getting with uh, with Renault. And that was, you know, the occasional podium, uh, top five finishes, and the occasional race win here or there. And, and we did see Ricardo and Max Verstappen do that uh, quite uh, regularly. Uh, over the past uh, couple of years, but th- that being said, that uh, w- with the switch from the, the the Renault to the Honda power units uh, this year, I-, I feel like they're a little bit further ahead. I mean, certainly we never expected to see a uh, Red Bull uh, pass a Ferrari just on straight line speed like we saw in Australia at the beginning of the year. That was uh, quite unheard of. And Max getting the podium that day and uh, and the Ferrari had not only had uh, did not have an answer for the Mercedes, didn't have the, the answer for Red Bull Honda. So uh, they've been saying that... Uh, well, Christian Horner says they haven't really set any targets uh, for for race wins this year. But uh, Max Verstappen, being Max, uh, he he's fairly to the point at times, and uh, he's been saying that uh, that that himself and Honda believe it's possible that they can target uh, wins sometime mid season. So, uh, you know, coming up in the summer, it'll be really something to watch to see if they're able to deliver that uh, that power. And we know that the the, the car is uh, usually pretty good uh, one that designed by by Adrian Newey. I mean his record as a, as a designer is is bar none. I mean he's one of the the the, the best. I mean the, what he's done in Formula 1 and Indy cars over decades. I mean his uh, his resume is very very impressive, but uh, I think obviously what they really needed over the past couple of years was an engine that was was worthy of the chassis, was worthy of the car that uh, that Red Bull were providing. So Honda certainly have come a very very long way. Uh, compared to when they re-entered the, the the sport a couple of years ago with McLaren, and I know that uh, McLaren, you can make that argument that they maybe got a little bit too hasty and, and broke that relationship off uh, a little bit too soon, but they had to do what they felt they had to do, and it cost them a lot of money to break that contract. I believe somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred million dollars, at least, if not pounds. So I mean, we're talking some serious, serious cash here. But Honda, and uh, I'm glad that. Uh, that Formula One was able to to find a way to to keep them in in the series and keep them as an engine uh, manufacturer at first with Toro Rosso and now with Toro Rosso and Red Bull and and it's good to see them achieving. I mean, they've they've put in obviously a lot of money and it's taken them a, a long time to catch up because they were really very very far behind in the development game compared to a, a lot of the other teams in Formula One that uh, that were manufacturing engines. And I mean, th- there's no doubt. That uh, that the the order in terms of quality engines, so the the one to have was the Mercedes, then the Ferrari, then the Renault, and then when Honda came in, they were just so far behind in the development game that it it really was uh, a, a very much a second class engine compared to the 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 other ones, and uh, they certainly uh, have come a very very far away or very long way, I would uh, in my opinion, in a very relatively short amount of time, and it's it's certainly good to see, and uh, for those of you that have watched the um, the series F1 Drive to Survive on, on Netflix when you see some of the different clips and the different uh, interactions the, the quotes from uh, Christian Horner the team principal at Red Bull Racing and Cyril Abitabul the team principal of, uh, of Renault and uh, not, not just uh, interact
interacting and and having some of the clashes that they had, but just some of the different things that these guys have to say about each other was was very very uh, interesting. And certainly at this point in time, when you look at where Red Bull is right now, kind of basically holding station to where they've uh, been showing signs that that they're, they're, there's still a lot more to come. And then you look at the uh, the, the Renault Works team that's under uh, uh, Abitable's uh, tutelage and and, uh, and leadership, there there is a very, very uh, big difference uh, between the two because uh, you look uh, Red Bull Racing, uh, currently third in the Constructors' uh, Championship with, uh, with 64 points. And uh, they're quite, well, literally, uh, well, not quite a country mile, but certainly uh, much further ahead of the Renaults of Danny Ricardo and Nico Hulkenberg, who currently sit seventh in the world championship uh, with, with, uh, with 12 points. And I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, Renault, and we'll do that after a very quick break as we start to wrap up the show. Because, hey, guys, like I said, sorry, time is tight, and I'm starting to look at the clock. Got to start wrapping this one up, and we'll do so after this very short break. So please don't go away. All right, uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, yeah, just uh, going back to uh, Renault that we were just talking about uh, before the break, they're just, uh, it's it's frustrating, I mean, to see that that, that they're struggling. Uh, that certainly, I thought that at this point in the, uh, in, the, in the game, now that they've been in after they've, uh, you know, been in Formula One again for several years after taking over Lotus, that they would be further ahead. And I think the developments uh, where this team is at and where the engine is at, it's it's disappointing. Actually, I, I should say that it's going to be the car because we're seeing that uh, McLaren is scoring a decent amount of uh, results. They're getting solid uh, uh, finishes. I mean, we, we saw what uh, uh, Carlos Sainz and uh, Lando Norris did this weekend. Uh, uh, McLaren Renault currently fourth in the world championship uh, in the constructor standings with 18 points. I mean, that's sure that's a, a ways behind Red Bull Racing, but they certainly are the the, the best of the rest of the rest. Uh, just a single point ahead of Racing Point uh, at the moment. But like I say, I mean, there, there's a lot more. I think positive signs coming from the the Renault powered, uh, sorry, McLaren compared to the to the Renault RS19. If you know, you have to think that even though they are supplying supposedly identical engines to, to McLaren, you got to think that they're saving the good stuff for themselves to put in the back of their own cars, but we're just not seeing it. I mean, uh, Ricardo has been struggling. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg is, was saying a couple of days ago that the car just doesn't, uh, isn't working right. I mean, I'm, I'm really kind of simplifying and, and, and parsing here, but it certainly is true. And I mean, the, the, the results that these guys are getting are just aren't good enough. And, um, Danny Ricardo must be hoping that this thing is going to turn around soon because I mean he took a really big gamble going from from Red Bull to uh Renault. I mean of course he's theoretically I think uh, going to be the number one guy at uh, Renault and uh, I really got the feeling that when it came down to it it wasn't so much about the um you know the, the money and the position that he was uh, in at uh, at Red Bull but I think he just didn't want to live in the uh, in the shadow of Max Verstappen. I mean, uh, Max obviously over time has been the guy at uh, or become the guy at uh, at Red Bull. They may have not come out and said that uh, publicly, or at least uh, when when Danny Ricardo was there. But I think it's just one of those things that everybody knows that that's his team, just like everybody knows that uh, Mercedes is Lewis Hamilton's team. I mean, that's ju- just the way it is. But if, if you look where where Max is in the World Championship right now, currently fourth. And uh, just uh, in that thick of the battle between the the two Ferraris, and you look where where, where Danny Ricardo is, way down in thirteenth in the drivers' uh, championship with just uh, six points. I mean that really is a a big difference. I mean just Hulkenberg and uh G- sorry, uh Hulkenberg and Ricardo uh, combined only have 12 points. I mean that doesn't even come close to what uh, Max Verstappen is scoring by himself. So it it is uh you know, very disappointing to see Renault struggling the way that they are and that just the, the the car just is not where it needs to be. And like I say, I mean I I really did expect with the the resources and, and everything that that Renault has at their disposal as a major car manufacturer. I know here in North America, we don't uh, see Renault very often. It's it's not a, a market that they're into, but I mean, Renault is a major car manufacturer. I mean, they make good cars. I mean, Ro- 
road cars. And the knowledge is there. Obviously, road cars and Formula One cars are, are two completely different things. But the point is, they have the knowledge. They they have the, uh, the, the resources to do it. They have a bigger budget this year to do it with. And yet, through the first four races of the season, we're, we're seeing them struggle. There was that extremely embarrassing moment in Bahrain a couple of weeks ago when they both expired from the Grand Prix from... Uh, an unexpected power loss virtually at the, at the the very same time. I mean, we've seen teams have double DNFs and it happens all the time, but we've never really seen it happen in the way that happened to Hulkenberg and Ricardo in, in Bahrain. And, uh, you know, you, you got to think that uh, Ricardo, maybe if he's not saying anything publicly, and I wouldn't advise him to at the at this point, because I think with all the problems that uh, that uh, Red Bull had with the, the, the Renault engines and when they let them down when they needed them, to really step up and deliver, I thought that uh, Ricardo was always very wisely the one that uh, that would bite his tongue and never said anything. I thought, well, uh, especially when he made the move to Renault, I thought, well, maybe that was a, a move that was well played because, I mean, uh, I don't know if, if any of you remember the expletive-laced uh, rant that Max had in, I believe it was Hungary, uh, that that kind of really uh, really said it all, and and Christian Horner, the team principal at Red Bull, was very very critical of uh, of the Renault engines uh, or, over the years. But Ricardo, sometimes he would kind of say things here or there, but just sort of generalities. Yeah, the engine uh, let us down. We had an engine failure. The car, whatever. He, you know, he was never really kind of really blunt or pointed or overly overly critical towards one person, one component, uh, or, or one part of the car, whatever it might be that uh, that let him down. And I always thought that that might come to serve him well. And of course, it may still come to pass that way. But uh, it seemed to me that when when he made the announcement he was going to Renault, I thought it was interesting that maybe that thought had always been there, that uh, that, that might be a destination for him to go there if he wasn't going to stick with, uh, with, with, uh, with Red Bull. And uh, at least through the first four races of the season, of course, the season is young. Uh, that seems like the, the, the gamble that Ricardo has taken has not paid off. And well, you know, he is a fun driver to watch. I mean, we all know his style of racing and he is a uh, really, uh, done well with that style that he has and, and has really become a very effective driver with the late braking. But we should probably talk about that now. We've kind of really, I would say, skirted around it, but we uh, we have, uh, I, I did talk about it at the, the, the top of the show, and that was the incident uh, between Danny Ricardo and uh, and uh, the Toro Rosa driver, Danny Kvyat, later in the race. And that was, uh, well, uh, Ricardo was behind the red, sorry, the Toro Rosso, uh, tried to make a, a move on him and and he locked up and they both went off into this escape road. And um, uh, Kvyat, who I thought I, I thought he played the whole situation really, uh, really well. I mean, uh, it was clear that uh, that Ricardo was going to have a go at some point, And we know what Danny Ricardo was about. We know that if he gets the opportunity, if he sees a space and he is able to uh, uh, really apply that uh, that patented late breaking uh, uh, style that he has and, and make a pass, he's going to do it. Unfortunately, it didn't work out because he he locked up, uh, went on straight in that corner, and or sorry, at turn three, the corner there. Uh, Kvyat wisely looked in his mirror and uh, did not collide with him, and they both went off. Uh, Kvyat just because of the way that it turned out missed the the the, the corner, but he didn't plow. Into the uh, into the Armco barrier did not hit uh, didn't break a wing or anything like that, but it was kind of funny the way that they were there. He was just uh, uh, Kvyat obviously was going after reverse before he could get going again. Uh, Ricardo, who was uh, more parallel in line with the short escape road there, turn three, backed up and <laughs> backed into Danny Kvyat, and the end result was both cars were damaged enough that uh, they had to retire from the race, and uh, that was their afternoon. Uh, said and done. And the fallout from that is that uh, Ricardo was actually going to get a grid penalty at the uh, at the Spanish Grand Prix in a couple of uh, weeks' time. And it, it just, 
I think maybe that incident kind of sums up Danny Ricardo's 2019 to this point in time. And it didn't really start too well uh, going back to the the Australian Grand Prix, the middle of uh, last month, when uh, Ricardo ran a little bit wide at the start, got onto the grass, and then proceeded to explode his front wing after he hit a, a manhole or a catch basin or something that was just in the grass just off the edge of the track. And it's been pretty rough and, and bumpy, you know, no pun intended, uh, for Danny Rick uh, since then. But if there was ever a time to kind of, kind of draw a line under things and say, you know, guys, enough is enough. Maybe even if that uh, that conversation is one that uh, Ricardo has internally, uh, now would be a, a very good time to, to to have that because certainly we know that Ricardo is a much better guy, uh, sorry, much better driver than that, and uh, that, that was just a, a very embarrassing moment and certainly one that uh, that I'm sure he regrets, and he's uh, he's going to pay for it uh, obviously at the next Grand Prix, and that's going to hurt because. The, the the Renault, like uh, like I've been talking about, is just not a good car, and he's uh, going to need all the help that he can get. But if he's going to have a a grid penalty imposed on him because of his uh, shenanigans in uh, in Baku, and he's going to be uh, if he qualifies, say in fifth position, I mean the after that three place grid penalty is applied, he's dropping further down the starting grid, and he's not really helped himself out. So that's uh, disappointing. Anyways, guys, like I say, it's uh, going to be a crazy week uh, week here. So I'm just going to going to stop it for there for the moment. Uh, just before I do go, I didn't get a chance to uh, talk about the constructors uh, championship. Just going to do that uh, very quickly. Just remind you all of uh, how the constructors uh, looks at the moment. Uh, Mercedes running away with it at the moment, uh, on top with 173 points. Uh, Ferrari seconds with 99. Red Bull with 64. McLaren. 18 points, racing points, Mercedes with 17 points to round out the top five. Then we have in sixth, Alfa Romeo, seventh, Renault, Haas in eighth, ninth is Toro Rosso, and Williams in 10th in the Constructors' Championship, currently with zero points. And based on what we've seen, Again, this past weekend, it's going to be a very long week. It's obviously going to be a very long week for Williams, but it's going to be a very long year for the uh, the, the the very well-known and storied Formula One team. And based on what we've seen, it doesn't look like they're going to get points anytime at all. And I hope before this year is done, we can say that this was not an imperfect season for them. Hopefully that they're able to turn it around and at least get some points at some time. <clears throat> Anyways, guys, as you can probably tell, the voice is starting to go, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you all very much for listening. If you want to get in touch, if you've got any feedback for the show, any comments, love to hear them. Love uh, love to hear from everyone uh, that, that gets in touch, and you always get a reply from uh, either myself or Kevin if you do so. And the best way to do it is either on Twitter at ScuderiaF1Pod, or you can also email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for downloading and uh, listening to the show and leaving a, a comment or rating on your podcast platform of choice. And that's it. So that's a wrap. Hope maybe to come back later in the week if there's more news and if uh, time allows. If not, we'll be back uh, as soon as we possibly can to talk about the best sport that uh, that's out there, and that's Formula One. Anyways, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys again very, very soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.